the Sunday Sermons Podcast. This is the 11th day in a series simply called Jesus. We're just marinating in Jesus himself, his teachings, his example, the stories he told. We're trying to get to know him better, get to know not only the very things he said, but the way he talked, the way he looked at life and try to become more like that. And thankfully, since we're talking about prayer today, this is one of the things he said and did the most about. Prayer is something that Jesus had very clear instructions about. He even gave us a template to use. He told very intriguing stories uh, to help us capture different parts of it. And his own example is crystal clear. But for some reason, uh, I, I, around the world, I'm not, I'm not saying that Morrison Hill's that bad at this, but we are guilty too. For some reason, we often get Jesus' perspective of prayer almost backwards. We tend to th- see prayer as all about trying to get God to do our bidding. And we're always looking in the Bible and trying to look at what Jesus said, trying to figure out how do we get God to answer our prayers. And if God is good, he'd do the things that I ask for. And the, and the crazy thing is, with very few exceptions, almost everything Jesus said about prayer was the other way around. It was about, he, he, he treated prayer as something that's all about trying to sync our will with him. I'd like you to say that out out loud with me, if you would. Just say it as a sentence. We'll say it together. Prayer syncs us with God's will and God's power. You probably have something like this in your pocket or somewhere nearby, right? You know you have to not only keep it recharged every day, but every once in a while there's updates and things like that, right? Prayer is kind of like that in the scriptures. It's something that, it's a way that we reconnect with God. Let's say that one more time. Prayer syncs us with God's will and God's power. And we see this in his teaching, his stories, his example. We're going to explore all of that today. The first time we see Jesus pray, it, where it's, it's just described, we don't actually hear his words. We hear God's response. And that is in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 23, the story of his baptism. We've kind of mentioned that one several times over the course of this last several weeks, but we're going to look at this one more time. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, this was something that just spontaneously happened after his baptism. As he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. And the story goes on. Now, obviously, he had prayed before that. Obviously, this wasn't the first time. And we actually have several of his prayers recorded after that. But this is the first time. And notice what happens from the very first time. He connects with God. It's not a prayer that he recites. We don't even know the words that he says. What happens here is a deep connection. His surrender through baptism, his surrender to start his ministry. We know the very next thing is he goes into the wilderness to be tempted and and beat the devil like we talked about last week. But in this moment, he starts it by sinking himself with the Father through prayer. Is this making sense so far? And then we see over and over, here's just one example, over and over we see these just in between all the stories or at the beginning of the stories, words like this, Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, 
left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This is just something we see over and over in the story of Jesus. And when he spoke, he always spoke about prayer, sometimes in surprising ways. But I tell you, for example, in uh, chapter 5, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, do you see? You don't have to squint very hard. Praying for your enemies is more about you syncing yourself with God than getting God to do what you wish he'd do to your enemies. And by the way, I don't know how many fans of, of uh, country music there are out there, but if you've heard that song, Pray For You, that is really bad theology. I, I don't know if you've heard that one, but in the chorus of it, it says something about, I, I pray that a flower pot will fall on your head and knock you like I wish I could. That's literally part of the lyrics. It's, it's messed up. It's, it's, it, that's not what it means to pray for your enemies. But what Jesus is asking is praying blessings on them. And what happens when we do that is our heart changes. We start to see the people who hate us the way Jesus sees them instead of the way we see them. When you pray, Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is not Jesus saying it's wrong to pray in public. He did it many times himself. His followers did it many times. What he's saying is it's not about other people thinking you're good at praying. It's not about going through the motions. It's not a ceremony. It's not a ritual that you just do to appease God somehow. It's a connection with God. And if you're having trouble doing that in a pure way in public, get alone. And not only that, you need to be alone as well as in public. We all need that deep connection with God. He goes on, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I've been guilty of this myself, sometimes just praying over and over. I'll pray my prayer, and then I'll be like, but seriously, God, really, can you please, am I the only person here, anybody else ever done that? Or, or you, just, you just find yourself sometimes almost stuttering, and sometimes we pick it up from each other. One I've heard a lot of Christians do, I'm not making fun, I, I just don't know where this came from, it's not in the Bible, but it's pretty common. We say the word Father over and over. Have you ever noticed that? Father, we come to you today, Father, we just love you, Father, we just, you know what I'm talking about? We don't need to do that, he, just like I don't need to say if I'm talking to my friend, Roger, I don't say, hey, Roger, how are you, Roger? Good to, good to see you, Roger. Nice hat, Roger. I, 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 just, I just talk. And that's not wrong. I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just saying what we see in Jesus' example is just this deep connection where he just walks into the presence of his heavenly Father and begins to speak. There's no formula. There's no, nothing to copy or pick up from how other people do it. We just connect with him. Jesus also said this, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. Anybody remember when he said that? 
right after he cleared the temple. And a lot of times we miss that because another bad habit we Christians have sometimes is we, we label Jesus' stories and Jesus' teachings to go with certain um, lessons and certain ideas. So we always tell that one about anger. And we could probably all recite the moral of that story, right? The clearing the temple. It's okay to get angry. It's not a sin to be angry. You just can't sin when you're angry. Paul said that too. So there you go. How many have ever heard that? And that's true. That's absolutely true. But Jesus did this as a way to teach them something. It very clearly says that the very next thing, as soon as he got that space cleared, he began to teach them right there. And this is the first thing that he said was, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of robbers. And once again, as Jesus did often, he used the rabbinical strategy of teaching where you'd quote a very well-known phrase and kind of expect people to kind of fill in the blanks. In this case, he's quoting Isaiah and Jeremiah. It, when he's, the, the phrase, the house of prayer, it comes from Isaiah 56. Here's an excerpt. I hope you go back and read the whole thing later. But he's speaking to Isaiah and he says, this is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right. And then he spends quite a bit of time talking about two particular groups of people that are kind of outcasts in their time, the eunuchs and foreigners, especially the foreigners is what he's focusing on. And then he comes back and he says, their, the foreigners, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. So as Jesus is clearing out this space that was supposed to be what they called the court of the Gentiles, the one place that foreigners could come, and they'd turn it into a market and were actually cheating each other there, he clears it out and says, it's supposed to be a house of prayer. Remember that? And you've made it a den of robbers. He's quoting Jeremiah where God told Jeremiah to go and stand at the gate and to speak to the people there and tell them this, reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. He's talking about their land. If you really change your ways and your actions, you really change your ways and your actions, and deal with each other justly. If you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to bile and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bear my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. If you like superhero stories, which I do, forgive me if you don't like that. And hey, we're a team if you don't, or if you do, I love those. There's always a secret hideout like the Bat Cave or the Fortress of Solitude. Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about? That's for the good guys. And then the bad guys always have an evil lair. 
And God's saying, you know what? Wherever you meet in my name, that's like your fortress of solitude. That's your back cave. That's your headquarters for all the good I want you to do in this world. You gather to get strong. You gather to build unity. You gather to remember what you're about. And then you spread out to do the good in the world. And you're treating it like the evil lair where you're planning all your crimes. And you think I'm okay with that? I am not. And Jesus said all of that with a whip and one or two sentences. But again, this is a central theme to Jesus, not just about prayer, but about everything. He wants us to completely sync our will with him. As far as prayers go, I, I don't know of any place it's any clearer than Jesus' own example in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember that story, how many have heard that story before? You, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. He goes and he prays three times. And those prayers shift just a little bit. At the beginning of the story, Luke says that Jesus' soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he asks his friends to pray, and he goes off to pray alone, and he keeps coming back. And every time, they've just fallen asleep. Does this sound familiar? But listen to the shift that happens in Jesus' soul. He goes from being overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, and he goes to pray, and he says, my father... Just walks into his presence. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. You don't even have to squint to see that he knows that he's sinking his will, but it's hard for him. Is this making sense? Second time he goes back, listen to his prayer. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. The third prayer is kind of a combination of those two. And then listen to this shift. He comes back to the people who once again have not been praying. They've been sleeping. And here's what he says. Then he returned to his disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. He's no longer overwhelmed to the point of death, he's ready to face it. Because that time with God synced him with God's will and God's power. And that's exactly the primary purpose of every prayer that we ever pray. That's why he taught us that as well. He said, this then is how you should pray. Notice he says how, not what. It's not something we should recite. And by the way, let me clarify that for a second. I think one of the best things you could ever memorize, and if you ever want to quote it or actually pray it verbatim, would be the Lord's Prayer. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that Jesus was teaching us how to pray, not commanding us to recite those precise words over and over. Does, does everybody understand what I'm telling you? But that's a great thing to memorize, a great thing to recite over and over. There's nothing wrong with it, but he meant it as a template. Anyway, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Who gets to pick how much bread we get? Who gets to pick how much we really need? God. Forgive us our debts. Who gets to say that some of the things we do are wrong and need to be forgiven? 
God, okay? Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Again, I've got to do something on the other side of this. I've got to sync my will with you, my weak strength with your power to be able to live this way. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's it. That's how you pray. It's all about just surrendering to God. It's basically saying, I surrender all. That's why we sang that this morning. Here's the second huge thing that Jesus consistently shows us about prayer with his words, with his teaching, and with his example. Say it with me if you would. It's a sentence. Prayer connects us to God and to each other. One more time. Prayer connects us to God and to each other. Jesus did pray a lot alone, and that's part of, that's one of the most powerful ways to pray. But he also prayed with people. He prayed often. He prayed regularly. He prayed before he ate. He prayed in groups. He prayed even more and even more intensely before each major moment in his life. And he taught us to do that same thing. Remember when he fed the 5,000? You've heard this story too, right? Okay, good. Lots of familiar stories today. We got David and Goliath and all of these. I love it. If you don't know these stories, just so you know, there's always this Bible study. And the dream is always that you go back. It's in the bulletin. The dream is always you go back and reread these scriptures. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you while you are alone. Get in small groups. Talk about it. Get, join a life group that officially goes through these things and just unpacks these ideas. But for now, let me just refer to the story and let's see how Jesus not only prays, but how it unites people. He directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. So who actually hands food to each person? The disciples. He's connecting them. He's including them in this process. And the disciples are the one who picked it up. Who actually, I'm sure Jesus ate some of it, but the primary people who benefit from this miracle is who? All the people. All these people are going, wow, God is amazing. This, this miracle, this answer to prayer, this prayer itself, this whole process united them. And that's just, that's just one example of how this works. But then later on that night, it says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. This time it's alone. He sends them ahead. And later that night, he was there alone. And if you know, this, this was a major day. This was a major day. It started out, he had just heard that John the Baptist had died. And he was trying to go off to be alone, but that's where the crowd was. So he served them first. But now he makes time to be alone. And then that night, after he finally made that time alone with God, that's when he walked on water. It's a big day in his life. And prayer is right in the middle of all of it. And in case we miss that, Luke just straight up tells us this in 5.16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One of those days, Luke writes, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. Spent the night the whole night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them. 
and whom he also designated apostles. Apostles means people you send out on your own behalf. They represent you. Disciples simply means followers. Notice he had a bunch of them, not just 12. But this was the day he had to choose 12. And some of them he had to have known were going to be all-stars like Peter and James and John and Andrew. And some of them, well, at least one of them was Judas. He spent the whole night praying before he made that choice. And then as soon as he made it, he goes down the hill. And that's where he preaches that sermon we've referenced several times. It's known sometimes as the Sermon on the Plain. Luke chapter 6. Here's some excerpts from that sermon. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do crowds say that I am? Does this sound familiar to you? See, this was another very elaborate thing that Jesus set up. We know from other gospels besides Luke, he had actually taken them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. That's a whole other amazing thing. Where they were, what all those phrases meant, don't have time to go there today, but it's beautiful and it's really cool. But notice that in that moment, it starts with him praying and then them asking, teach us to pray. Does that make sense? Or I'm sorry, they ask him, who do the... I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. He prays, and then he asks them, who do the crowds say that I am? And that's where Peter says, for the first time of any of us, that I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's where Jesus said, my Father has revealed this to you. And that is the rock I'm going to build my whole church on. Nothing's going to stand against it. About eight days after this, Luke writes, Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to, everybody say the word with me? And they think it's just a regular time. They do this all the time. But this was when he was transfigured before them. This is when Moses and Elijah show up and they see Jesus in his glorified form. It's this major, major event, but they think it's just normal to them at the beginning of the story. Luke 11, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I don't know what they were expecting because he'd already taught them this template. He'd already taught them that. He'd already told them all that stuff way earlier at what Matthew, what we often call in Matthew the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I, he had to have been smiling just a little bit when he said, Okay, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be praised. May your kingdom come. May your will be. He teaches them the exact same prayer when they say, teach us to pray. It's the exact same thing all over again. And it's not because somebody made a mistake. It's because this is how he taught us to pray. A story that he told also says pretty much all of these things. So two men went up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Can you imagine the audacity? What in the world? Of course, it's a story just made up to make a point, but that's awkward. But notice what happens. The person in this story, how many have heard this one before too? 
The person that Jesus sees as the hero in this story is the tax collector who shows up far from God, but by praying at God's temple, he sinks himself with God's will again. He repents and he becomes whole again. The Pharisee thinks everything's great. Nothing changes at all. He doesn't sink at all. It's like putting your phone next to the cord, but not plugging it in. It's not going to do you much good. Unless you got one of those cool ones where you just lay it down. But let's not get complicated. Do you understand what we're talking about here? All right. You've got to actually connect with God for it to actually work. He also told some stories that, and said a couple of things that sound a little bit like, just a couple of things in the midst of all of these overwhelming examples that tell exactly what we're saying today. There's a couple of very few exceptions that we'll talk about next week when we talk about the confusing and strange things he said. There's a couple of things you could misunderstand that Jesus said that make it sound like he's a genie in a lamp. But is it pretty clear from everything else he's saying here today that is not what prayer is about? That is not what, how it works? So those things can't mean that. We'll talk about that next week. Let's wrap up today with just a few more things that, that, and how can we live this out? If this is what prayer is about, if this is how Jesus lived and taught and commanded and modeled prayer, what do we do about that? John 17 is the night right before Jesus, well, it is the night that he got arrested and prayed. It's right before he goes into Gethsemane that we already talked about. And John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 is John filling in all these cool details that some of the other gospels left out about so much that Jesus said and did that night. And a lot of it is actually about prayer. And a lot of it is about the way he wants God and us to be completely connected. The vine and the branches illustration is in the midst of all that. But then John 17, he just, in public, right in the middle with all of his disciples in the room, he just starts praying. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And listen what he prayed for. Remember, one of the purposes of prayer is to unite us. It's to connect us with God and each other. Listen to Jesus' prayer. Imagine that he's standing here right now just talking out loud with God. Eyes open, arms up, just talking to God, but we get to listen in. He says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. They have obeyed your word. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Listen now. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. He goes on. My prayer is not for them alone. Now he's praying for us, you and me, right here, right now. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
It's not only one of the purposes of prayer, it's one of the things that Jesus actually prayed for. And if I could just give you a, just a, not out of context, but just kind of a random advice from my own experience, take it or leave it, because everything else I'm telling you today is just straight out of Jesus' mouth. This is just something I've learned. God almost always answers the prayers that we already know are his will. Not always. I still have a problem with praying for somebody who's not saved and them not giving their lives to Jesus really quickly. I know that's God's will, but he doesn't always answer that because that's how he operates. He lets us make those choices. There's a couple of exceptions. But by and large, if you say, God, I know you want me to forgive this person. I can't. But I'm asking you right now, God, if you make me able to do that. Because I, I want to do this. I want to obey you, and I want you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me. I'm gonna, I want to do this, but I can't. That's when you find the strength to actually get it done. When you say, God, I, I just don't have the strength to go on. I, I, I'm, I, I feel like I'm just wasting my time here. I'm wasting my life. I just can't do this anymore. But I really believe what you're calling me to do right this minute is your will. God, would you please keep me going? Give me your strength. Carry me on those wings like eagles. Give me the strength that I don't grow weary and I don't. God, help me. That's when you find that strength. I hope you've experienced this. And if you haven't, I encourage you, pray for the things that you know are God's will. Pray that we become one. Pray that our hearts break for the people who are ostracized in our culture, the people that are marginalized, the eunuchs and the foreigners, if you will. Pray that God gets rid of the sin in our lives, not just forgives us, but gets rid of it, clears it out. Pray that we actually see things the way God sees them and start to almost naturally do things that are right and not do things that are wrong because we're actually becoming like Jesus. Do you think he's going to answer those prayers? Yeah, because that's his will. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. That intense prayer was one of many, many. He was always going not only to all kinds of places, but to the Mount of Olives in particular was one of his favorite places to pray. One more just practical thing. Find a place, find a time that you connect with God every day. There's something powerful about praying without ceasing. The Bible talks about that too. You're constantly in touch with them somehow. But if you can, I don't care if you're a morning person, night person, if you have insomnia and you get up at night and don't know what else to do and you're just watching dumb movies or something, I don't know how you're wired. But here's what I know. You need a time and I need a time every day in a certain spot where we go, this is where I connect. Hopefully there's many other times, but I make sure that I connect with God in this way. Prayer is just going to completely open up when we do that. It's interesting, the apostles, we don't see them praying in the Gospels. We hear them seeing Jesus' example and hearing all the stuff we just heard this morning. But as soon as you turn the page into Acts, they prayed all the ways Jesus 
said to and showed them how to do. They pray alone. They pray often. They pray regularly. They pray before they eat. They pray together. They pray before major moments, major decisions that they have to make. They know that prayer syncs us with God's will and God's power. Would you say that one more time with me out loud? Prayer syncs us with God's will and God's power. And they prayed for direction. And they prayed for boldness. Some of the, my favorite stories in the Bible, they're so humbling and also inspiring, is when they face persecution and they're being put in prison or they're beaten or they're killed, they pray for more courage. They pray for more boldness. They pray that God will do more miracles to get more attention, which is exactly what got them thrown into prison or beaten or killed. Because they know it's his will and they're willing to do it. They're sinking themselves with his will and his power and in that process, they are connected to each other more. Let's say that together. Prayer connects us to God and to each other. This morning, I'm going to give you, as we often do, a chance to pray. We're going to sing together as well. There's going to be somebody at the front and at the back, whichever is more comfortable to you if you want to talk about making a public decision, giving your life to Christ, officially joining our church, getting baptized, however God is leading you. If you just want to pray, if you want to stay where you are, if we want to come to the front, but I'm asking you, please, please hear me. Pray right now. God can hear all of us at the same time. Take a moment to connect. Take a moment to sync yourself with him right now. We're going to play softly and then we're going to sing.